Okay. So the way I'd like to give um, like a Parsha Shmuz, at least in this forum, I think, um, is to give, like to go through a Parsha very quickly, give like an overview of what happens, and then go through a bunch of different kind of ideas. Some will tie in, some won't necessarily, um, but I think that's good and that's fine uh, because, you know, some ideas you'll connect to and some ideas you'll connect to less. Um, and also, if you space out for about 10 minutes, then you can still have a director for Shabbos. But either way, it, I think it gives a good uh, kind of like overview about what's going on. So, Parsha Shlach is the Parsha of the Maraglim that you're familiar with. Nod your head, it's fine enough to take yourself off mute. Okay, fine. The Maraglim, obviously, the spies, bad news, right? Moshe sends spies, spies come back, Lushan Harbat Eretz Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael believe them. Again, quick basics, you guys are familiar. Uh, they cry, they get decreed 40 years in the desert. Good, this is familiar, nod your heads. Good, excellent, a uh, bit of a plague. Okay, Kosh Boko gets upset, right, Moshe Davins, right? He says, okay, fine, Beseder, I'll kill everybody, this generation, but everybody else will go into Eretz Yisrael. Um, the the Parsha has a couple of stuff about Korbanos, just because right afterwards, right, Hashem wanted to kind of reinforce the fact that don't worry, you will make it into Eretz Yisrael, even though it seems pretty lousy right now. Um, there's the mitzvah of Chala. Um, and then uh, we have, there's was uh, something called uh, the Makoshish Eitzim, the guy who was gathering sticks. I do love talking about that, but I'm actually not going to talk about that today. I think it's a fascinating vort, just to give you an insight. Basically, according to some, you know, part of the Gemara mentions that Basically, Ben Israel were kind of saw 40 years in the desert. Oh my gosh, we're all done. Forget it. And they were starting to give up. So it seems like from some sources that somebody went and was Mechal Shabbos on purpose. So that he could get put to death on purpose to show Ben Israel that, you know, the mitzvahs are still legit and you should still take them seriously, even though we're all decreed we're going to die, whatever. That's a fascinating part. I'm not actually going to talk about that so much today. Um, and then the, uh, it's definitely cool if you want to check into it. Um, and then the Parsha ends off with Tzitzis. So we'll, we'll do mostly Maraglim stuff, um, and then we'll uh, end with a beautiful word on, on Tzitzis that I, uh, that I happen to adore. Okay, so anyway, so basically the Maraglim, you're familiar with the Maraglim, the Maraglim go in there to Israel, and they come back, and they say a lot. They say a lot of stuff. And it's a little bit tricky uh, to pick up what the problem is with what they said. Because on the one hand, as you're, I'm just going to try and read a couple of psukim, a lot of the things they said were very good, were very positive. Right? Some of the things they said were negative. Obviously, Ben Israel took it in a bad way, but let's just read the psukim very quickly, just a couple of psukim. I'll try and paraphrase as best I can, and then we'll try to kind of to, to illustrate for you. So basically, they come back and they say, Banu el we we went to the land. Vigam zavas chalav udvash hi and it's zavas chalav udvash. Right, that's uh, it, and it's a, an amazing land. Ephes, but ki azam ayushev ba'aretz. The nation is strong. We saw all these nations that are strong and powerful. There's Amalek, and they name all the nations, right? And, and, and that's it. And that's the end of their statement. And then Kalev gets up and says, "Let's go inherit it, because we can." And then the people say, right, I take it back when I said before, that it's hard to pin down what they said was wrong. I, that's not true. Right, there's a lot you could pin down over here. I take it back. But basically then the people say, no, we can't. It's too strong for us. Okay, fine. So that's basically the statement, the back and forth. So 
One, there are a couple things I want to pick up on here. Um, when I say it's hard to pin down, I didn't mean it's hard to pin down. It's just there are many aspects of what was what went wrong. But that word that I kind of pointed out when I was reading it, he says, right? It is a land of Zavas Fs bought Ki but the nation is strong and it's a very strong people, strong cities, giants, etc., etc. That word but is a crucial word. And very often, right, we also kind of use that word and, and almost don't pay attention to it, right? If someone would say to you, right, someone would say, uh, how is that sheer, right? And, you'd, and someone would say, well, a couple of great things. Yeah, the rabbi is very fun to listen to and it's a good topic, but one, two, three, and four. So is he, say, giving a good review or is he giving a bad review, right? Even though he said some positive things beforehand, mm, he's not really focusing on the positives, Right? Any, anytime someone gives you a compliment, oh, that dress is so nice, but I feel like you should wear it to a wedding. So that's not a compliment. So that's not helpful. So when, when, they, when they, the true things that they said about Eretz Yisrael were, were true, but when you throw in that but, right, again, that ruins everything. And the Chorah, that was their perspective. I mean, they saw amazing things, right, but they were focused on the negative, right? We talked about it a little bit last week by the misodinim, right? By the complainers, right? That they complained about the mon. Uh, they said things like, we remember the fish that we ate in Mitzrayim for free. For free? That's very selective memory, right? <laughs> You're remembering very selective things about the things you had in Mitzrayim. They talk about the watermelons in Mitzrayim. The watermelons in Mitzrayim. 210 years of slavery, and all you remember are the watermelons. Like, that is very selective memory. When a person is focused on the negative, when you're looking for something to complain about, when you're looking to be negative, you can find anything. Right? So lesson number one you can take, again, from last week and from this week as well, is that a person sees what they want to see, and if they want to be negative, they're going to be negative. And they want to be positive, they want to be positive. And the decision really almost comes beforehand, right? When you see a lot of Chazal... A lot of the speeches, a lot of the rhetoric talk about about the Miraglim is that they they were always they were intending to give a bad re- result, right? That's why Moshe Davin for Yoshua, right? They were intending to give a bad speech about Eretz Yisrael. They went in thinking, all right, how can we mess this up? Right, we'll talk about it in a second. That the, the major says they had Ruach Hakodesh, that they weren't going to be able to con- to conquer the, the 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 cities and stuff. Fine, but they went in deciding to be negative. Right, my wife often tells me. And uh, it's a lot of truth behind this. That if ever I'm in a bad mood, you just smile like that emoji. You know the emoji that just has like... You know that one that has no actual smile? It's just like... I don't even know how to describe it. Like an oval? But just force yourself to do that. Because when you smile, even if you hate it, so all of a sudden you're smiling, right? And it, yeah, exactly. That emoji. Fabulous. So And it happens to be one of my personal favorites. And it, even... It, even though I'm frustrated on the inside, but when you force yourself to smile, it just reminds yourself, yeah, I got I to gotta make, make uh, the best out of the situation. Right? Someone asked me, I remember one of the girls asked me, I'm not going to you know, say who it was. It's not Lashon Hara, but it's not, not relevant. They, they were nervous about their summer plans. And they are nervous about like, oh, I'm going to be in a place, I'm not sure about this or whatever. So I kind of just said to them, I'm like, listen, you just have to decide to make it good and then it'll be good. Like when you decide right, what you want out of a certain situation, so that's what comes out of it. Now, Lachora seemed to be what the Miraglim kind of started with. Okay, that's that's number one, issue number one with the Miraglim. Number two, issue number two with the Miraglim is something that Piazetzner Rebbe points out. Fascinating, fascinating uh, inside of the Piazetzner Rebbe. Again, the Piazetzner Rebbe wrote 
a sefer called the Ish Kodesh, Chovas HaTalmidim, uh, was in the Warsaw Ghetto, um, sharing Torah and spreading, keeping hope alive uh, for the Jews, was uh, murdered, obviously, in the Holocaust. Um, and the Baruch Hashem, his writings came out to us. So he basically, his Ish Kodesh is basically a list of his, can you, if you can imagine a bunch of speeches in shul during the Holocaust, right, in the Warsaw Ghetto, that's the Ish Kodesh. That's his Sefer. So it's, it's mind-blowing when you just realize the context. So he has an unbelievable shot with the Miraglim. He says, I kind of read it over for you before, right? What, the Miraglim said, like, the bad stuff about, uh, about Eretz Yisrael, right? That, uh, not Yisrael, but the people. The people are so strong. I'm just paraphrasing. The cities are so high. There are giants. There's Amalek. There's all these strong nations, etc. What does Kalev say? Kalev says, Let's go. We can do it. We can do it. And Rashi says something fascinating. He says, what, what was Nala? What did Kalev mean? And I'm just, again, just paraphrasing the Hebrew. Even if you would tell me, even if Hashem would tell us, let's go make ladders and go up to the sky, even if that's what we had to do, we would be Matzliach. Matzliach has the Rav. We would figure it out. Says the Piyazas and the Rebbe, I don't understand. The Miraglim are coming with all of these technical, legitimate claims. It's hard to capture a city that has giants and huge walls and a strong army. Right? They're coming with all these tachlis, normal, natural pointers. They're not wrong. Right? And Kalev is like, well, we, yeah, but if we could just build ladders to the sky, so then, you know, we could do that also. <laughs> what, what in the world is that? Like, what kind of answer is that? So, says the and Rebbe, that's exactly the point. That sometimes, Kosh Baruch Hu makes it as if all of the natural responses and resources and avenues of success are unavailable. And at that point, it's not, it's not, at that point, it's better just to look to a Kosh Baruch Hu. It's better just to look, instead of looking for even more answers, some point, Hashem just wants you to daven. Hashem just wants you to have a moon and be talking that things will work out. That yes, in a chinami, and this is what he points out, it says, uh, I, he doesn't point this out, but as Fasemis points out, I'll get to that in a second. But basically, whenever you're in a situation where natural, uh, you know, if it's not working out, you know, it's, you come back shut a bed and you can't think of anything or anything that will help. So all it is is, is it's a coach Baruch who just wants you to dive in. Meaning he's making it more difficult for you because he wants you to realize that really everything that's natural is from a coach Baruch Hu. And that's that's the whole point. That the whole logic, the whole exercise is so that we can have uh, to strengthen our amuna and get into focus. Says the Svasamis. I saw it in Ramelech Biderman, and uh, he says the Svasamis is unbelievable. It said the Medrash, I said before, the Medrash says the Miraglim saw in Ruch Hakodesh that the Bnei Israel did not have enough strength to conquer to conquer Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, they decided, well, we might as well kind of you know warn them off and, and make sure that let's, let's not go get it. Says Svasamis, no, that was the point. I mean, Hashem wanted them not to have enough natural, physical ability to conquer Eretz Yisrael, and that if they should trust in Hashem, that they should use the HaKadosh Baruch Hu's promises as the, their point for Emunah and Bitachon. That was how they were supposed to conquer Eretz Yisrael. And says Ramelech that sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu does that in our lives, and that sometimes Hashem does that to us. And sometimes we have to realize that when we're going through difficult times, what we perceive as difficult, and you can't figure out, I don't know how I'm going to get to college, I don't know how I'm going to pass this test, I don't know how I'm going to get this job, etc., when all the natural avenues are exhausted to us, sometimes that's because Hashem wants us to daven, Hashem wants us to turn to Him. So that's also tremendous, tremendous muscle. 
Let's number three from the Maradwim. What happened? What B'nai Yisrael's response from the Maradwim was, Vayifkuham Balaylahu. Right, pretty well known by Rechazal, that B'nai Yisrael cried that they weren't going to be able to conquer it. To conquer it's Yisrael. And the Gemara Taina says, Davchavtas, that since they cried a, what's called the Bechish Shalchinam, they cried a, uh, a, uh, uh, I guess a, a chinam, literally in modern Hebrew is free, but it means you. they cried unnecessarily. So I'll show you, says the Kosh Baruch Hu, I'll show you what it means to cry. Right? I'll show you what it means to cry for generations. And the question everybody asks is like, dude, for real, like for all generations, like they got this, fine, I got it. They got depressed, they got misled by the Mirag, the Lashon Hara, Eretz Yisrael, fine, I get it. Terrible, okay. Now, for the next 3,000 years or 2,000 years, since the destruction of the Beis Mikdash, now we're going to have a day to cry every single year because they, they blew it in the desert? I mean, listen, I mean, proportion. Come on, let's go. This is very disproportionate. What's going on over here? So it says the Rujiner Rebbe, the Rebbe from Rujin. That's right. The Rebbe that we have a street named after him. Some of you lived on Rujin. So that's right. It says the Rujiner Rebbe, a story about a wealthy man. Now, I don't know if the story is real, is true, but it definitely illustrates. Uh, the point that we're gonna we're gonna try to try to make the story about a guy who was wealthy and did not have a curse at all. He was always complaining, uh, did not appreciate the wealth that he was given. So, as the story goes, right, Coach Barker said, "Okay, you think you're complaining about your situation? Fine, I'll uh, I'll make it a little worse. You think this is what's you should complain about? This I'll give you something to complain about." So, sure enough, he lost his money and had to go begging on the streets, and he was complaining, he's complaining, he's complaining. Hashem said. Fine. You think this is something you have to complain about? I'll, you think that's bad? I'll give you something to complain about. So Kesh Baruch gave him tzaras. So he couldn't even go beg because he was outside the city. Right? If you have tzaras, you have leprosy, you're not allowed to... It's not really leprosy, whatever. But he had to be outside of the city. Uh, so he couldn't even go beg for food. Right? So he complained and complained and complained. Kesh Baruch made him a gimp. His back started hurting. Uh, he got some one of the illness, some illness, another illness. He couldn't even swallow his food, and at that point, right, he had an illness that a lot of the people, a lot of the beggars, and a lot of the people around him were not making it. There, there, there was a plague or whatever it was, and a lot of people around him were dying. And at that point, he was just happy to be alive, and he said, "You know what? I'm just I can't eat so well. I can't I can't walk. But you know what? All these people around me are not going to make it. I'm not making it from this disease. At this point, you know what? At least I'm happy I'm alive." Gosh, Prophet said, "Oh, good. You're happy about this. I'll give you something else to be happy about." And then he cured him from his from the backaches and the food swallowing. At least he could swallow food now. And said, "You know what, Baruch Hashem, I could swallow food, and it looks like I'm going to make it through this illness." Hashem said, "Oh, listen. You know what? It looks like you're you want you think you're you know that's a karzatov. I'll give you something else to have a karzatov for." So he started giving him right. He healed him from his taras. He gave him a little bit of money. So he thanked Hashem again. Right, and uh, you know, Hashem said, "You know what? Okay, so you want you think that's good? I'll give you something that will make you really thank me." So, and he gave him more money, more money to the point where he came back to where he was before. He had his original riches, and at this point, he was thanking Gosh Baruch Hu. Says the Ruzhin Revi and Sefer Tov Lahodos, that's what the Gemara means when the Gemara says that Gosh Baruch Hu, that we cried, and therefore Hashem said, "You know what? You think that's crying? I'll give you something to cry about," because it's not a vengeful act. It's simply how Kosh Baruch Hu relates to us in this world. Right? We, had, we hear the concept of Midah Kineged Midah, that Hashem gives us our Midah. Right? The, the Gemara Makos talks about by Bilam, we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. But Derek Shadam wrote to the path a person wants to go down, that's where Hashem takes you. Right? You want to get uh, go higher and higher in Yiddishkeit, Hashem will give you Sadi Yishmaya. If you want to go lower, unfortunately, Hashem will also give you Sadi Yishmaya. 
Right, the Nefesh HaChaim, Rav Chaim Voloshner writes in Nefesh HaChaim that, again, not that I really understand this so much, but the things that we manifest down in this world, right, impact the worlds above us, and they come in turn, then impact us down in this world. It's like a chain reaction almost, like a rope that goes up through all the, the upper worlds. And the mitzvahs and the attitudes that we have down here send shockwaves up towards Shemayim, and then they come back down, they reflect back down at us. That's what the concept of mitzvah gereris mitzvah. When we do a mitzvah, we cause ourselves to have more holiness, and it leads to another mitzvah. Basically, our attitudes, as we, as we pointed out before, our attitudes determine right, what happens to us. Right? What, we, what, we, what we want to see is what a Baruch gives us, right? the path that we want to go down. So if you want to see the world in a certain way, right, that, that maybe is more negative than you should, so just be careful what you wish for. You might be very surprised about what, what a Kosh Baruch has got in store for you. Right? Our, our goal, our job is to have a Kosh for everything. Right? Not to just uh, you know, to have Bitachar and Emuna and, and kind of focus and realize that a Kosh Baruch is the source for everything. And what we, our attitude has in this world, that Kosh Baruch will give it back to us. Right? That's, that's, the, that's what we're talking about over here. Okay. Um, fine. Uh, one more about the Miraglim, and then we'll do two other... Uh, kind of little little points over here. Okay. Um, the Medjur says, one of the things that the Miraglim said, let's just see if I can find it over here. Uh, yeah, it's at the end of the barrack. Puzzik says, right, they had a, the Lushan heart about the land. Um, the land that we went to, right, he eats its inhabitants, right, because they saw a lot of people dying, and Kosh Baruch did that for them on purpose, so the giants would be busy with the funerals, etc. Anyway, we saw the giants, and that fascinating line that, again, you may have heard of, right, we were like grasshoppers, in their eyes, and so too we were, well, I guess the other way around. We were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and so too we were grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, what in the world is going on over here? Said, now, the Gemara does say, and we'll talk to this in a second, that but they, they heard the giants saying, wow, check it out, there are ants in, in, the, in the fields. So when they say that they thought that we were grasshoppers, it's, it's perhaps based on that. But the measure says something unbelievable, that B'nai Yisrael, that Kosh Baruch could not forgive them, right? He could have forgiven them, he could have forgiven them, right, for uh, the fact that they, that they saw, uh, that, uh, what was the problem over here? I Meaning that they saw themselves in other people's eyes, right? They thought what the giants were thinking about them. And Hashem says, how do you know this? Right? How do you know that, that they think that you are grasshoppers. Meaning, how do you know that a Kosh Barco didn't make them seem like Malachim? Meaning, when a person sees, when a person, how a person sees himself, right, the way we shape our own view of ourselves in the world, that's how we think other people see us, right, according to our own worldview. There's nobody who's a big Balagaiva, right, a person, let's take for an extreme example, someone who is tremendously arrogant and think that they are the greatest gift to mankind. That guy does not think that everybody else thinks that he's an idiot. Right, that guy assumes that everybody looks at him the same way. Right? And so too, someone who is all the way down, right, kind of suffering, kind of like, uh, you know, someone who views themselves very low, right, thinks that everybody else thinks that he's also very low or she's also very low or she's not worth, worth anything. So again, the Gemara Sota says that, again, that they heard the ant, them saying, oh, look, there are ants in the vineyard. It says this fast, that is unbelievable, right? Kefisha Adam Choshev Hushomea. According to what a person thinks, that's what he hears. Meaning, 
it's not that they heard the giant saying, oh, look, there are bugs in the vineyard. And then they assumed, oh, that's what they must be thinking of themselves. It's they thought of themselves as little bugs, and that's what they heard. Meaning, again, just to think about it from a logical perspective, right? You're, you're a bug, you're down in the vineyard, or you're a normal-sized human, and there are giants. You hear the giants saying, oh, look, there are bugs in the vineyard. How do you know they're talking about you? The giants are, let's say, 20 feet tall. Their viewpoint, they're looking out over a much bigger land space or land mass than you're occupying. You're a little guy, you're normal, normal human size, and they're 20 feet tall, so, or 30 feet tall, whatever it is. So you're in a little area of space. He's looking out over a huge landmass. Oh, look, there are ants in the vineyard. How do you know he's talking about your Daladamos? You don't know he's talking about your Daladamos. Just if that's how you view yourself, that's what you hear. That your worldview is shaped by how you carry yourself and how you feel. And there's an amazing story that Amelich Biederman uh, tells over to, to explain this idea. He says there was a guy once, there's a coal guy, who was very timid. And no one ever asked him, Shaila's in the base Medrash, about, you know, what the sugya, what they were learning. No one ever asked him on the street for directions. Nobody in his house ever asked, like, you know, how's everything? Would you, are you, how was your day, etc. No one, no one ever paid any attention to him whatsoever. So after a long time, he decided, you know what, maybe i, I got to get people, somebody to pay attention to me. He decided, you know, he's feeling very lonely. He decided to go buy a new hat. He saw a sign for a new hat on sale or whatever. So you know what? I'm going to take this old hat that I've been wearing since my bar mitzvah. I'm going to go buy a new hat. Fine. Goes to the store, buys a new hat, spends a good amount of money, looks at it in the mirror, decides it's going to be a new man. He says, I'm going to be such a new man, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave the old hat here. I'm not even going to take it with me. Takes a new hat, walks out, right, feeling good about himself. And all of a sudden, you know, within a day or two, people are asking him, Shiloh's in the base matters. Right? There's a kid asking him to help him cross the street. He comes home and the family asks, how was your day? What's going on? Do you need something? Can I help you with this? Can you help me with that? And so people notice this change in attitude and they ask him, what's the, new, what's the deal? So being a t- still a little timid, he just like points up, up uh, you know, points like this with his finger up at, up at Shemai. Day or two, he doesn't explain. After a day or two, people ask him again, like, what's the deal? What's the you know, new attitude? How's it going? So instead of, finally, you know, they asked him, what, are you pointing at Hashem or something? Did some nace happen to you that all of a sudden you're a changed man? So a little embarrassed, a little embarrassed, he says, no, I'm, I'm really just pointing to my hat. You know, I got a new hat and I, you know, I feel like a new man. And everybody looks around and finally someone says to him, I, I, hate, I hate to break it to you, bro, but that's the same hat you've always been wearing. And what turned out is that he didn't leave the old hat in the store, he left the new hat in the store. And he took the old hat with him, and he was still wearing the same hat, except he was carrying himself differently. And that's what the Rav Melech says, that the way we carry ourselves is how people will relate to us. That the way, the attitude that we have, that we make it, like I said before, like if you're sad, smile like that emoji, just make your own reality. Right? Just If you make your own reality and you decide that you're going to carry yourself in a way that you know, will make things better, so then things will happen to you that, that will be better. Okay, that's, uh, that's a few words about the Meraglim. Two more Vortlach that I think are, that I very much enjoy uh, about uh, this Parsha. A fascinating, fascinating few psukim. After Hashem says that B'nai Yisrael, okay, you guys are toast, uh, and we're done, and you're getting stuck in the Midbar, um, there's a bunch of people who get up the next morning. Fascinating response. I'm uh, just trying to find it over here. If you're following along in the Chumash, yeah. Okay, here it is. Basically, 
everybody cries. Moshe tells them, they, they mourn, everybody's in mourning. People get up early, they get up to the top of the mountain, and they say, You know what? We blew it. We're here, we're getting up, we're here at the top of the mountain, we're going up there to Israel, we sinned, we messed up, we're going up there. Right? This is what is called the Ma'apilah. And Moshe says to them, there's nothing doing, I mean, it, it's done. We're finished, right? There's no Kosh Baruch doesn't want you to go up there. Don't go up. Hashem is not with you. You're not going to be survive. You're not going to survive. The Amalekim, the Canaanim are going to kill you guys. You guys have sinned. You got to accept your punishment. Suck it up. And they decided, you know what? No. If I appeal the laws of they decided to go up anyway. Right? Nobody follows them, and unfortunately, the Amalekim and the Canaanim come down and they kill them and they kill the Amalekim, and and obviously, you know, that is the end of that. Now, what Chazal point out in several places, not only, only here, but if it's here, I'm going to point it out again, is that it's fascinating. The exact same action, one day earlier, would have been a tremendous mitzvah. Right? One day earlier. One day earlier, B'nai Yisrael is ready to roll. Go into Eretz Yisrael. Fabulous. Everybody goes up the mountain, starts fighting the wars. Let's go defeat them. Wonderful. The exact same action, 24 hours, 48 hours, however many hours later, was a disaster and got them all killed. And what is the only difference between those two actions? Even though they were exactly the same physical action, the single difference was the Tzidu Hashem. Right? What a Kosh Baruch Hu wanted from them in that moment. Right? Sometimes in life, the exact same action can be either good or bad depending on the circumstance. Chazal bring out, and again, I've said this during the year, but so stop, I'm, don't stop me if I, I'll just finish the word. But I've said this during the year, basically actions themselves are neither positive nor negative. It just depends on the, the circumstance. It just depends on context. Right? Very often, it, it can be a tremendous mitzvah to do, you know, to give, I don't know, to give someone $1,000. Tremendous mitzvah. But if that is going to prohibit you from not being able to, I don't know, so afford an apartment food, etc. So Chazal say that's inappropriate. Right? A person is not supposed to give more than 20% of their money to tzedakah, right, if they can't afford it. Or 20% is very high, I'm saying 10%, whatever it is. person giving that much money, but they themselves can't live, that's not a good, that's not a mitzvah tzedakah. Right? There are a lot of wordlets like this all over the Chumash. Uh, for example, there's a court, what's the difference between Maimon Harsinai uh, and, uh, and uh, the Egel Azov, right, both, and the Mishkan and Egel Azov, both of them are cre- using some sort of gold, right, to worship a Gosh Baruch Hu, Pashtas, obviously this is cutting it very simply, but the, the, the Egel Azov was gold, the Aron was gold. Uh, what is the difference between the two? Obviously, this is very simple. Is Hashem commanded Ben Yisrael to build the Aron, and he didn't command Ben Yisrael to build the Ego. Right? Those are, it's, again, that's not as good as an example as this one, but this is literally cut and dry. So basically, things in, in, that we do always have to be discussed in context. It always depends on on the circumstance. What does the halacha say about this? What does the Torah say about this? Right? We might think that we're being magnanimous and very nice, but really the Torah might demand a totally different set of circumstances, uh, and it, that's why it's important to always have a rav and always be uh, you know familiar with halacha and stuff like that. Obviously, you know, ask uh, ask your friends and make sure that you get a good adracha because sometimes when we take these uh, life you know aspects into our own hands, sometimes that uh, that can get a little muddy. Okay, last word, and uh, I enjoy this, treme- this word tremendously as well. I heard this word from Rav Chagar Raviv, who was a Rav Mevisar, and now he teaches, I think, at Leva Torah. 
And the, the Pazik says by Tzitzis, not so relevant to you guys, but the, the idea is relevant, and it's, it's a beautiful vort, and we'll leave off with this, is the Pazik says that Tzitzis reminds us of all the mitzvahs. You guys familiar with that? Does that ring a bell at all? That Tzitzis reminds us of the mitzvahs. So how does Tzitzis, a bunch of strings, remind us of the mitzvahs? So Rashi is probably most famous, is that you do a gematria, that you take tzad yud, tzad yud, tough, and you hash out that math, and I'll do it quickly for you. I guess you the six hundred, and the uh, the strings are eight, and the knots are five, and that gets you to the magic number of six thirteen. Just as an aside, how do you know there's six thirteen mitzvahs? Gemara mentions it a couple places, Makos, whatever. There's a whole there's not there's a whole discussion as to what the six thirteen mitzvahs are. Right, that's how, that's uh, been debated for centuries. But okay, six thirteen. That's how the mitzvahs. That's how the the tzitzis reminds us of the mitzvahs. Now the Ramban and others have a couple problems with this. First of all, uh, the eight strings and five knots is not always so clear. You don't necessarily need eight strings and five knots. Um, and even better, which I like, is that um, the Ramban says, if you look at the word in, in the Torah, the word tzitzis is never spelled with two yuds. It's always spelled tzad yud, tzad yutaf. So you're missing ten. So people say, okay, Sarah said Dibros. Okay, once you're adding in Sarah said Dibros, come on, now now you're just fudging it. Tosas has a better answer. He said, whatever, I mean, you, see, you take the Lamed and Litzitzis at the end. Okay, you divide it by three. It says the word Tzitzis three times. Each one gets an extra ten. Okay, you can fudge the numbers. Says Ramban, how does Tzitzis remind you of the mitzvos? It reminds you via the Tchelis. The Tchelis, as you know, was uh, a part of the Tzitzis. We don't, some people do nowadays, some people don't. Uh, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But basically, the trellis was a blue string running through the, the tzitzis, different from Hagim, how it looks. Either way, that reminds us of the sea, and that reminds us of the sky, and that reminds us of the kisei akavod. Right? The blue color of the trellis reminds us of the sea, reminds us of the sky, reminds us of the kisei akavod. The kisei akavod is made out of sapphire, the Pesach says, in Mishpatim, and, and Yechezkel, and Meister Merkav, etc. So that reminds us of Azav Kadosh Baruch now, there are a lot of things you can ask about that vort, but Rav Chagai said something very sharp. He says, what do you need the sea for? Hey, the sky is blue. The sky is blue. You want to say it's the upper waters reflecting the sky. You want to say it's the Kisiyah Kavod. However you get the blue color of the sky, whatever it is. What do you need the sea for? Just say it. It just reminds you of the sky. It reminds you of the Kisiyah Kavod. What do you need the sea? What do you need the water for? The ocean is nice, but like, what does that have to do with anything? Okay, you want to say it's Mayim uh, Chaim, and the Torah is compared to water. Right, you remember that uh, kind of Gemara with Rabbi Akiva and the Roman. The Roman says, why don't you just stop keeping Torah? Rabbi Akiva says, because I'm like a fish in the sea. If a fox would say to the, to the fish, come live up on land, it doesn't work. I need the, the water to live. So, so too, I need the Torah to live. Okay, fine. But the guy says, I'll say it to tell you even better. He says, when does the sea look blue? Only if it's not murky. Only if it's not muddy. Only if it's clear. Only if it's clear. Says guy, when does Torah work? When does a Torah lifestyle work? When there's nothing muddying the waters. When there's no other noise. When there's nothing clouding right, from other, let's say, disciplines. When a person has a singular life goal, a singular life focus, to live a life of Torah Mitzvos, to live a life of Frumkite. So that's when 
it reminds you of the sky and reminds you of the Kisya Kavod. Whenever things are muddy and dirty and messed up and kind of mixed with other, maybe uh, other types of Ashkafa or other things that are kind of making static noise, then it, the water doesn't remind you at all of the sky. The water then gets all murky and gray and dark and things maybe get a little confusing, a little messed up. That's a crucial, crucial thing to remember. Certainly, certainly when you guys are in uh, America during the summer with a lot of free time, and uh, all the time, but certainly, certainly in the summer when you guys have just gone back, right, and you're starting to kind of find your way, um, it's crucial to remember that that it doesn't work. When you have Torah and other things, right, like that you have, let's say, you, yeah, you, you, you learn Torah, but you also, you know, have, uh, you know, I, you have a priority. This is a boy thing. So you also watch sports, uh, and you also keep Shabbos. But you also like to read. You know, do all, when you have all these other things. I like to do. I don't know. I, I'm trying to find. A, I'm struggling for examples because I'm looking at the timer at the top of of the Zoom, and it's ending in three minutes. But whenever you have all these other priorities competing with Torah, and Torah is not the singular life view and the singular goal. And meaning, whenever you have Torah and also work and also things you like to do to relax, and none of those mesh, and they all clash, so then you have a trouble. But when everything is viewed through the lens of Torah, so then everything works out, right? Then everything is clear. Then you're able to have a strong anchor. You're able to live a life of Torah mitzvahs, right? When you're, when you're letting things compete with each other, so, you know, if you feel like doing something else, so then Torah values are maybe not necessarily so crucial to you. But when Torah is the way you live your life, Everything else fits into that. The way you take vacation, the way the things you watch on Netflix, the you know the way you spend your chill time. Everything fits into that Torah worldview, and that's when things are mis- what's called miskai, and that's when things uh, kind of stay with you. All right, so we'll finish with that, um, and I hope everybody has an amazing Shabbos. Um, and tomorrow, I hope you say that over next year by Parsha Shlach. <laughs> but uh, I very much uh, enjoy hanging out with you guys. Um, I will just mention quickly that.